If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It's Thursday's podcast. Funny, funny old week. Johnny boy, what's the crack? It's a funny week indeed. Funny, funny week. Do you know what? Let me tell you something. Tell me. A friend of mine was telling me that he's trying to buy a house. He's okay. like, He's in that stage in his life where he's trying to buy a house like millions of others. Yep. And he went looking at a house. In Mines, I think it was. Expensive part of the world. Expensive part of the world. Well, you know, he's doing well. Right, okay. So he went to see this house. Now, it was 675, which is huge anyway. That's, uh, for everybody, that's 675,000 euros. Uh, yeah. Ireland has got so blasé, it's like 675, <laughs> yeah. two for right, okay. <laughs> half Six, bar, just think about bar. Half a bar. Just think, <laughs> 675,000 euros. Yes. Right, it's a but, huge amount of money. But within 24 hours... That had risen by 150 grand. That's mad. Within 48 hours, it was a quarter of a million and up. still rising. Up, up. Who's got that kind of money? Who's got that kind of money on top of the 675? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, let's actually, let's talk about the Irish obsession yeah. with house prices and houses and homes. I had a very interesting conversation last Saturday with the president. Michael D on a chapter at at the book festival. Yes, of course. On a chapter in his book about, which is entitled Home. He's got this new book, which is really interesting. Like he's, he's so learned, right? Yeah. He's so erudite. And it's called Reclaiming the European Street. This is it. It's all these lectures and ideas that he's given over the years. It's an amalgamation. He's a 15 minute city fan, isn't he? He's a 15 minute city fan, but he goes really deep into culture. And this one's on home. And he's talking about the Irish relationship with property Mm. and land. Yeah. And he begins, of course, with, you know, Heidegger and German stuff. We can talk about that in a second, right? But he talks about the Irish obsession with land from the perspective of this country being originally dispossessed of their land. Sure. So the people being dispossessed, you know, after the Cromwellian takeover of Ireland, Mm. which which is what it was, yeah. you know, and, and which is why, for example, still 
the great difference, and this is in deference to our English listeners, between English and Irish people is always, I always think, Cromwell, right? Yes. English yeah. people put him usually in number one greatest Britons ever, right? Yeah, yeah, or up yeah. in the top five, and Irish people... He's the greatest bastard yeah. ever walked the earth. I, he was a genocidal fanatic maniac. He was like a jihadist. Yeah, he was. He was yeah. a religious jihadist, right? When it came to us. But anyway, so of course we get dispossessed and then the whole, this is what Michael D is talking about, the whole national movement, uh, the liberation movement here was a land movement. Mm. At the core was land rights. So you got the Land League starts, I think in Nina, in, or it's certainly in Tipperary, maybe in Nina, in around 1860, 1870, feeding in, of course, to Parnell, to the Irish Parliamentary yep. Party. Then that becomes the basis of the national movement. And of course, there's different things like the Gaelic League and all, all that sort of stuff. But at its core, it's a land issue. And then what you find, and this is the whole idea of home, then what you find is that we get to independence 100 years ago. And I would say the vast majority of the freedom fighters of the Sinn Féiners were really sold on the idea that after the Republic was declared or after the Free State was declared, mm. that we would have land reform. And never again would a small minority of the population own a huge proportion of yep. the land. Yep. And we did a couple of weeks ago statistics on wealth in Ireland. Yep. And I gave the statistic that the top 15% of the population yeah owned 70% of the assets of the country. And of those assets, land is still by far and away the most significant. So we've kind of gone 100 years ago, we had the great independence movement. Yeah. And we kicked the Brits out and took the land off the Brits, but gave it to some other geezers. Yeah, there's a whole different land grab. Who are now tax exiles. <laughs> <laughs> so they could be still in Britain. No, so that's, that's, that's what I want to talk about today. But what's interesting about the Irish obsession is it's not unique. So, for example, when we talk about why are Irish house prices so expensive, there is in the back of our heads this default position that our relationship with land is in some way unique, but it's not. I mean, if you look at, if you look, for example, at German or French philosophy and German or French sociology, the, the, the French are obsessed with this thing called the, the terroir, the terrain, the yeah, land itself. Yeah. We talked about the physiocrats Last Physiocrats, week, yes. yeah, we're obsessed yeah, yeah. with land, right? So there's a French. Have you ever seen like Jean de Florette or any of those yeah, French yeah, yeah, movies yeah. about the peasantry? And it's all about land. I mean, that that could easily have been made in the west of Ireland. It's the same idea, yeah. you know. That it's like the field. Yeah, it is. You know, yeah. it's it's like the field. And then the idea is that you know, I'm not happy if I have two cows and my neighbor has one cow. I'm only happy if my neighbor has no cows, and I have half a cow. It's that sort of idea yeah. that, you know, it's, you're, 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 you're so obsessed. So, and also, if you look at, for example, German history, the Germans have this great expression called Heimweh. So the German sense of home is called Heimat, right? That's the home. Okay. And they have this extraordinary psychological expression. And the great thing about Germany is they add words together, right? Called Heimweh. To weigh is to have a pain. Like, so, it, you know, sine weigh is a, is, is a toothache, right? Right. And if if you put weigh, which is pain, and heim together, it's a pain for home, right? It's called heim weh. And Germans talk about this all the time, that they're away from their home. And it's very, very deep. In, in, in Actually, there's a great German. But when they say home, it, is that from an area or their physical house is that no it's the homeland homeland like yeah. homeland right and uh, and heimat is, is is this thing there was a great 1980s tv series john called heimat 
which traced. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which traced. Uh, yeah, I know. That's the sort of stuff I'm into. You know, I was talking to, you know, Matt Damon gonna... about, about the Born Initiative or whatever. Like, I, I have no interest in that sort of stuff. But there's a really good German thing called Heimat, Matt. You have it on VHS or probably yeah, Betamax, yeah, yeah. do you? Well, go, go, go and have a look for it. It's a free, yeah, probably in VMX. But it's a really exceptional piece of drama. It's based on a German family from 1860 to mm. the year 2000. Right. Oh, right. It's okay. phenomenal. It's all these intergenerational. It's a bit like, did you ever see that German uh, thing, Generation War? I can say now before you <laughs> mention the name. No. Okay, okay. I'll forgive you. We get all German on your ass, okay? But it's really good. Actually, another great German book is called The Pity of It All by Amos Elon, which is the history of the Jews in Germany from 1733 when Moses Mendelssohn walked through the gates of Berlin to 1933. So it leaves the Holocaust as you know what happened next. Yeah. Phenomenal story. Actually, this is your reading list for the summer, <laughs> yeah, right? Just, I'm taking notes. Hi, Matt. The pity of it all. <laughs> okay. Will you just kind of condense it down to a one-pager? Okay. <laughs> Do a Bertie Ahern on me. It was, it, was, it, was, oh, it was the guy from your neck of the woods, oh, Albert Reynolds. Uh, Reynolds, yeah, yeah. yeah. Give yeah. me a one-pager okay, on so, that. But I'm, what I'm saying is that to understand Irish property, you have to appreciate that this idea that we have an exceptional, unique relationship with the land and home based on being dispossessed is not true. Mm. All cultures, or many cultures have it. The French have it, the Germans have it, and I'm sure other cultures have it too. And it is this sense of home. And this is what Michael D is trying to get at in, in his book. But what is kind of extraordinary, what's kind of extraordinary for, for me is that if we are not unique in this obsession about home, because all cultures have it, mm. then why are we almost unique in being the least populated country in Western Europe with the highest land prices? That's what I have to figure out. Yeah. And my conclusion is we can go down the road that it's deeply psychological and social and historical, but I think the reason that Irish people are obsessed with houses is houses make Irish people rich and have made Irish people rich for a long, long time. And the promise of wealth and the promise of housing wealth. Actually, just to stop you there, going back to our friend in Rap Minds, yeah. you have to be rich to buy property now. Well, you this, know? this is the idea. You, it yeah, doesn't yeah. make you rich. You have, have to, to be, be rich. rich. Yeah, and this is, this is what I want to talk about because mm. it's the promise of wealth yeah. with the net result that Irish people, I'm going to talk to you about a chart I have. Oh, oh I love a good chart. It's a fascinating <laughs> chart. It, Traces Dublin house prices back to 1945. Really interesting. All right, okay. Yeah, it's called a hedonic index. Bit of econometrics. What's the hedonic? I'll talk to you about it in two secs. Hedonic indexes, oh, indices man. are econometric ideas, right? Right. But, but it's a fascinating piece of work by two economists, which I'll tell you about in a sec. But because of the using of house prices and housing wealth to generate wealth, what happens in Ireland is something very odd, which is... When you don't have a house, you want house prices to fall. Of course, yeah. But when you do have a house, you want house prices to rise. And you are exactly the same person before and after. Mm. So rather than, and think the idea of home, this leads to a, a, what, what I'd call a dangerous dichotomy in Ireland, which the concept of home, which should in theory be reassuring and nurturing and safe, that's what we talk about, home, mm. a safe place, right? Actually, in practice, home becomes divisive, alienating and risky because we're using it as wealth. So what has happened in Ireland is that 
as income has remained reasonably constant and house prices have gone through the roof, we have tried all sorts of wheezes to try and squeeze as much borrowing out of that income, yeah. like your friend in, in, in Rap Mines, squeeze as much borrowing out of that income to make legitimate the house prices. So rather than income being the base price, remember we spoke about this before? Yeah. House yeah. prices become the base prices, dragging up income. And if income can't go up because the vast majority of people's incomes are their wages, and if your wages go up, whoever you work for becomes uncompetitive, right? Mm. We fill that gap with borrowing. Now, the problem with borrowing is the more you borrow, the more fragile you become. If you read Nassim Taleb's book, Anti-Fragile, great yeah. book, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What he goes on about is lots of various different e- evolutionary and ecological things. But at its essence, he talks about serious, serious indicators of fragility. And on a personal level, one of the most serious indicators is the, your level of borrowing. But what we've done in Ireland to make legitimate house prices is we have constantly, constantly, constantly over leveraged people with borrowing in order to achieve these prices. So our income, therefore, only has a vague relationship to house prices. It's borrowing which drives the whole thing. And that makes the society really fragile, as we saw in 2008, Mm. because we're too leveraged. And then you get a shock and you stop. The other problem is that the government, successive governments, have put all their eggs in the inheritance basket. So basically, you will get rich if you get on the housing conveyor belt. So just imagine you're on a conveyor belt and you're standing, but as the belt keeps going, you go towards your destination. So all you've got to do is buy a house and watch house prices rise, and then you'll get rich. And then what do we do? The gig is you give that to your kids and they get rich. But the problem with inheritance is it creates what I would call deposit inflation, right? So the rich kids can actually pay the deposit on the rich houses. So the deposit, which used to be an idea you would save, and the deposit would have some relationship to your income, so it would all be of of a piece that made sense. Mm. Now suddenly you get the inherited deposit, which is much greater than your income, and then suddenly you get inflation in that deposit. So kids who actually inherit stuff tend, therefore, to be able to make those deposits, to drive up the price. So everything... But that's only valid when they actually have parents who own their house outright. Yes. And also depends on the number of kids, because obviously it's going to be divided up and blah, blah, blah. Well, apart from you and your prodigious output of having four (laughs) children, John, which puts you at close to three times the national average, okay? okay. Because the vast majority of Irish people are having less kids. And Which is a problem in itself, but we'll it's, come back to but, that. And it's interesting, as the country gets wealthier, we're having less children. Mm. So therefore, the inheritance becomes more material, not less material, because house prices are rising, and therefore there's less kids to inherit. But the problem with inheritance is it also then levers those kids into the housing market, again, because they said, look what happened to mother and father. Yes, That's what they did, we'll do it too. So, so what I'm saying is Irish people are obsessed by houses because successive generations of Irish people since the 1940s, yeah. we're talking about now, have been made rich, right? That's notwithstanding the calamity of the crash, which is quite exceptional, yeah. and we're still at it again. So what we've got to do is we've got to move away from the idea that we are uniquely linked to the land and look at actually how successive governments have boosted this and cheerled this market in order to have this sort of social compact, which is that 
you are on the inside. You have a stake in society if you have a home, right? Yeah. And therefore, you're a better citizen. Whereas if you don't have a home and you're an outsider, you're much more likely to be a pissed off citizen. And so what successive governments have always done is try to expand this home ownership, not because they really want people to own homes, but because they want people to have a stake and to become easier citizens to manipulate and easier citizens to govern. And this is a so, very so, deep- so, Okay, that said, what the hell are they doing? This is why they've broken their own compact. This is the deep, deep yeah. issue. So, for example, Fianna Fáil built council houses. Yeah. Unique in Europe, they gave those council houses away to the council tenants. So they made council tenants homeowners. Right? Okay, right. This doesn't happen in the UK. The only other country I know where this happens is in Singapore. Well, actually, Thatcher did that. Remember? She, that's what she started doing. That yes. Was in the yeah. late 80s. And then it was all the gerrymandering going on. I love that word, actually, gerrymandering. But, you Do you know, know who gerrymander was? No. He was an individual. Go gerrymandering on. was named after a bloke called Jerry. Really? I swear to God. No way. <laughs> yeah. There was a bloke called Jerry, right? His name was Eldritch Jerry. He ended up being the vice president of the, I don't I don't know how I know this stuff. Yeah. The vice president of the United States, right? <laughs> right. Around eighteen twelve or eighteen thirteen. And of course, he was also <laughs> he was also a politician from Massachusetts. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And his gig, his gig was that he redrew the boundaries of Massachusetts wards so outrageously in order to win. Yeah. But the boundaries actually looked, the map looked like a salamander. Right? You know that sort of, right. little, little yeah. sort of lizardy thing, right? Yeah, yeah, they're amphibians. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You could quite like those sort of things. Don't yeah, you? I do. I yeah, love yeah, all yeah, that yeah. stuff, yeah. Right. But Let me looked, tell you about salamanders <laughs> <It> looked, <laughs> on another on podcast. Another exactly. John and the salamanders. <laughs> so it looked like a salamander. Your man's name was Jerry, and it was called Jerry Salamandering. And then they just took out the salamandering, and it was called Jerry Mandering. And that's where it comes from. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I love that. Such a mad amount of nonsense in this head. <laughs> but this is the kind of the gerrymandering, that was the kind of stuff that, that Thatcher was doing. You're absolutely right. And she was she was trying to create new wards in London, I think in particular, yeah. to create conservative majorities. And of course, who was the greatest gerrymandering of all? In Derry, in the Troubles. That's what that's what the civil rights was all about. Right. Okay. That the unionists, yeah. there was like about three unionists in Derry, but they had two MPs or something. Yeah. So they put all the Fenians into one area. Like, it's so shocking when you think of it. Anyway, enough of this. Let us plough on about house prices. Oh, Jesus, that's great. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ooh, look at those colors. Don't you like the chart? <laughs> I love a good chart. And by the way, we have a little screen here that we use when we're when I'm showing John charts and I get all excited. And this is a colory one as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. So here is. Explain this one to me, Mark. So I tell you this, this is an extremely brilliant piece of work by two economists, Ronan Lyons and Richard Keeley. And what they went back, most countries have, if you go to, for example, Belgium or Holland and you want to rent an apartment or you want to buy an apartment, there's a price per square meter. Yeah. That's, but there isn't in Ireland. There's no price per square meter in Ireland. So if you go to France, there's like a set price, more or less, or a range per square meter for an apartment. Yeah. Right? To rent. It's, or to it's, buy. A, it's like commercial properties, it's price per square meter yeah, usually. Isn't but it? we never do it in residential because right. it's a stitch okay. up. Yeah. And the reason it's a stitch up is you're trying to sell dreams to Irish people, right? This is yeah. a really interesting. Yeah. And there's never been a residential index of price per square meter which exists in almost every other country. Mm. Why? Who wouldn't want that? Clearly estate agents and owners of property because it gives you a base price. So these two economists have done an amazing job. Yeah, Yeah, it is an interesting. So what you're doing, you're selling the dreams and see views or see glimpses of the one I like. Selling the sizzle and not the sausage. You're absolutely right. This is what it's all about, yeah. right? And it's that, let's suck you into this idea and such and such bought for a tenner and sold for 20 quid. You too could be rich. It's the same idea. Yeah. And once you move away from a base price price per square meter, you're into flannel and hype and bullshit, frankly. Mm. And these two economists, so so Ronan, who I know, Ronan Lyons and Richard, I don't know Richard Keady, but they did something really brilliant. They published a paper two years ago and in this paper, they did what's called a hedonic index. And a hedonic index goes right back. Now, they, they looked at millions of ads from newspapers going back decades. It's an amazing piece of wow. work. Amazing yeah. piece of work. It's called, if you're into this, Debt and Taxes, the Sale-Rent-Housing Price Ratio in Dublin since 1945. Wow. And hedonic econometric series are really tricky to do. So what they do is they... Hedonistic. It's... Kind of the opposite of hedonism. Right. <laughs> Typical economics, you take hedonism, which is great crack, and you put econometrics into it, which is no crack, right? Okay. But uh, economists taking yeah. the crack out of life <laughs> for centuries. <laughs> it's true. But this index is really fascinating because what it does is it, it adjusts things like, for example, like sea views or public amenities, oh, right. yeah, everything yeah, yeah. like that. And it's very hard. So it's, well appointed. Well, I love that. Well <laughs> appointed. And every what I love about it is, is that every, every houses don't have, the room doesn't have, you know, a decent amount. It boasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the room boasts. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Anyway, anyway, this index that these guys have come up with in this paper, right, tries to adjust prices and rents for all sorts of other factors. So it's very complicated to do statistically. Mm. But these guys are good at sums, right? Mm. And what they come up with is this index going back to 
45. And in order to do this, they had to sift through literally millions of ads wow. and yeah. do the data and do the, and do you know who worked with them? Finn. Oh, did he? Yeah. Our Finn. Finn loves us. He loves us. He loves us some. Yeah, yeah, Sim. he does. Yeah. Do you know where Finn lives now? Chile or something. He lives in Santiago, outside Santiago in Chile. He's gone. He still works with me. Yeah. Remotely. He's but locked down in Chile. He met, he was, do you know what he was doing? Isn't this a lovely story? He was in Roundstone. Yeah. And you know, he likes to surf. All that generation likes to surf, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was surfing off somewhere off Connemara. And he was driving in his own jalopy with the surfboards on the top. And there was a really, he, well, he says, he's this amazing looking girl hitching. Right. And nobody hitches anymore in Ireland. No. So he said, I'll pick her up. She got in the car. She was from Chile. And he's moved in with her in Chile. He left Jesus Ireland. Christ. No messing around, Finn. Finn, Finn McLaughlin. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Oh, and Finn does all these charts for me because I, 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 yeah, yeah, I'd say yeah. Finn. Great. Yeah, great. Right, right. So this is a Finn chart right. from Santiago. Yeah. Okay. But he actually worked on the original paper right. with Ronan Lyons and this, this other economist called Richard Keeney. Anyway, what it does is it shows you that Irish house prices from 1945 up until more or less 1980, 1985, actually did really nothing. Mm. They fell dramatically in the 1950s, right? House prices did. The reason is half a million Irish people emigrated in the 50s. Of course, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They then began to recover significantly, but not hugely. It's around 1990 where prices start to go through the roof. Now, in general, as a rule, and then they collapsed in 2008. Yeah. And now we are back up again, heading back towards 2008 yeah. prices. Rent's exactly the same. And I'm going to give you some figures to, to give you a sense of what happened, right? So since the 1960s, Irish house prices have risen ninefold. Right. Most of that happening in the 1990s and 2000s, okay? Jesus Christ. Right? It's, it's extraordinary. Sale prices grew an astonishing 230% since 1990. And they're now 25% above 2,000 levels, right? Still, then mm. they came right down. But if you look at prices have risen on average by about 9% in this period, right? Inflation has been much, much lower. So this has created the incentive for people not only to buy houses, but to invest in houses. And yields, which is the return, yeah. okay, have always been above inflation. So there's been the creation of this landlord class significantly since the 1970s, but particularly after the 1980s. So you got the 1950s, very, very bad for house prices. Mm. 1960s to 1980s, pretty okay. 1980s, of course, you have the Gareth Fitzgerald and Charlie Hawhey recession. 1980s is that total mess yes. of the economy. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. one that we were schoolboys in. Yeah, yeah. It was like, man, <laughs> did we have to be born... <laughs> Did we have to come of age we were, in this thing? We were buying our ticket. That's what yeah. we call as a, as a congratulations for finishing for our leaving suit, yeah. is getting the, the mailboat ticket. Getting the mailboat, yeah, yeah. Don't get off a crew, right? <laughs> yeah. Go straight to Houston Station. Do you remember that? Yeah. Don't be getting off a crew, right? But so our generation came of age in the, in the 1980s. Imagine we were in school in the worst yeah. decade, right? Okay. And, and it remains with us, our deeply psychological yes, trauma. Yeah, we're scarred. But then, Jesus. since the 1990s, it has been crazy, right? So... Successive governments created this landowning class and then since the 1990s profoundly enriched the landowning class, mm. right? And then, of course, you get speculation. And when you get speculation, more and more land and houses ends up in fewer and fewer hands. That's mm. the key. 
because speculation allows the rich to pick the assets. And that's why you get this crazy concentration of wealth. And now, as you said, governments that were managing the housing market quite well in a slightly manipulative fashion from a political theory yeah. have lost control. So the it's like all great ideologies tend to have within themselves the seeds of their destruction. And I think this is what's happening here. Matt. But you know, you know, um see I was wondering about the relationship between that and security and pensions. You know, when we were growing up, especially in the eighties, our mother's obsession was go get a job with a nice secure pension. Yes. And so and what did we do? We the opposite. Did, we did absolutely the opposite. But that pension was all about security and, and it was their own insecurity from growing up in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, and absolutely. Our, but then when we all start buying houses in the 90s, as you see the chart going up, yeah. all those pensions were... Linked uh, to house. Linked to housing. Yeah, and it's still the same. So we have... It's about security, but there is this thing. You remember I talked... Eisenhower spoke in America about the military-industrial complex. Yes. And he warned, it's amazing, Eisenhower was a general and president. He warned that the military-industrial complex was getting too big and was biasing and dictating American economic policy, mm. right? Because it was lobbying the governments to expand the military budget because they were actually making money out yeah. of it. The warrior class, as we were talking about The on warrior Tuesday. class, yes, exactly. And it takes always takes a warrior to actually unpick the warrior class. And Eisenhower was the warrior because you can't be a dove yeah, yeah, and yeah. say the military's out of control here. You need to be one of them. But America has a military industrial complex. We have a housing finance complex. It's this nexus of the housing industry mm. and the land industry and finance, which is driving policy here. Now, of course, those guys thought they were very clever, even though we had this crash, etc. right? But what is happening now is within this complex are the seeds of its own destruction. Why? Because as house prices rise, and if the game is that the older people sell on overinflated houses to younger people in order to secure their pension, yeah. you can only do that for two generations, right? And then the younger people run out of money. Yeah. And home ownership starts to plummet, which is exactly what's happening here. So if you go back and look at the chart, it's exactly two generations since house prices started to rise. Right. Okay. Do you okay. see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Let's make it sense. intellectually within so the original Fina Fall Fina Gale idea is we'll have stable house prices, but lots of home owners. Then we can play the inheritance game because in actual fact, to buy that that home, you don't need a huge amount of money. Mm. So pensions will be smaller but stable. But then we got into the greedy game of hyperinflated pensions. So the promise was, don't you worry, you can always sell it on to somebody else. And as you see from the chart, that was two generations ago. Yeah. And now we've run out of people to play the game. Yeah. And this is where we're at. So we're at a huge crisis point, I believe, in the whole housing market. Game, scam, I did, calling it a scam is not true, but there was a deep political and social and economic framework around which increasing house prices were, yes. were framed, yeah. right? Now what we have is look at the elections. What is happening in Ireland? The last four elections, maybe five, have been fought on this idea of house prices, right? 
on the way up in the boom, on the way down in the crash, now yeah. on the way up. Yeah. And if you break down Kev, Kev Cunningham yeah. has done amazing work, really fascinating work, on breaking down the electorate in terms of not left and right and old and young and liberal conservative, but whether you rent your house, whether you have a mortgage or whether you own outright. Okay. And we can see, and I come back to what we've said at the very, very top, right? The freedom fighters and the Republicans who fought for this Republic fought on the basis that we would have a unifying land policy that gave everybody a share. Yeah. yeah. hundred years later, we have the most divisive issue, which is land. And if you look at the numbers since January, so Kev was on a month-to-month basis, right? Yeah. Since January, the coalition who stand for status quo, right, their support amongst renters has collapsed from 38% in January to 21% in May. Wow. Like, this is a huge fall, wow. right? Yeah. Yet their support within people who have mortgages has stabilized in the mid-40s. Right. And their yeah. support of people who own outright is hovering around the late 50s, early 60s. Right. So what you wow. see is the Amazing. division in Ireland. I mean, Sinn Féin it's, are kind of right. Yeah. It's between renters, between the outsiders, the people who rent, who don't have a stake, yeah. and the insiders, the people who've bought. So I come back to this idea of home, which is home was supposed to be all about making people secure. But in fact, what it's done, it's divided the nation profoundly. And this will clearly dictate not just this election, but maybe the election after and after, as this great intergenerational scam, the housing stroke pension stroke inheritance scam, hits the buffer because there's simply not enough young people with enough money to keep the old people in clover. So, John, if you think about it in political terms, right? Yeah. You think about, you know, we had this discussion last year of my granddad being the copper and your granddad being the freedom fighter, (laughs) okay? But think about those guys, right? A hundred years ago, the country was divided and the issue wasn't just British rule, but it was land ownership. That after we got rid of the Brits, we'd sort this thing out. Yeah. And therefore home became, and I go back to Michael D's piece in his book, home became this kind of sacred place that we would sort it out so all Irish people would have a stake and we'd all be unified around solving the land ownership issue. So we would no longer be the dispossessed. We would be, well, we clearly are quite possessed, Mm. you and I, but (laughs) the possessed, right? We'd we'd have possessions. That's 100 years ago. Our state is 100 years old in a couple of months' time. Think about it, right? Yeah. And land is not only not unifying, but it's the most divisive political issue of the day. So nothing has changed in 100 years except the surnames of the people who own the stuff. To all you Patreons out there, thank you so much for supporting us. We couldn't do this without your support. It means a huge amount to us. Also, all your feedback, your suggestions, your comments, our comments to you, our replies to you, really is the essence of the whole thing. So again, thank you very much. And for all of you who might want to support us, check us out. Patreon.com forward slash David Mike Williams. <laughs>